Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Okay, and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Raj Show. And I want to introduce uh, Dr. Helen Yang. And I'm going to talk about her right now because some of the highlights, and she's being humble. She could have made this resume very long, but, you know, I just love that she went to Harvard for undergrad. You've got to have a Harvard person on here to make it, to, you know, to make the show steam like we, we, get that, that, we get those people involved. So she went to Harvard for undergrad. We're going to talk about that. Then she became a, a Trojan for medical school. So she'll talk about life at USC. We'll talk about residency. And this is actually where I got to meet Dr. Yang was during residency. In fact, let me just pat myself on the back. She was uh, my resident and she was one of my, my favorite hardworking and I'll keep on bragging about her during our conversation. <laughs> and she came, went on to become a chief resident. I thought that would be very important because the Dr. Rod show is all about not just it's the general public, it's doctors, people in transition. Like, and, you know, some of the people have already asked, can you talk about what do I do after residency? Who goes on to be an attending? Who goes on to do a chief resident year? And very interesting enough, another reason why I wanted, you know, Helen on the show is because she's going to be doing something in public health. And not to say that she's not going to continue to be a great doctor, but I think that this is going to be interesting to many individuals to say, what is life after residency? So with all those things being said, let me finally introduce Dr. Helen Yang. Helen, thank you for being on the Dr. Raj Show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited <laughs> to be on your podcast. You know, well, it's like it's full circle. You know what I mean? I would say a couple years ago, we were sitting in your staffing pulmonary cases with me and yes. talking about medicine cases. Now we you're the star. Together. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you know i you know i don't i love your story of course we talked backstage about where we're going to kind of lead things but you know let's start off with um harvard you know oh, okay. so, <laughs> so I, I gotta know i mean you're one of my, my first harvard friends you know so what is it like you know that most people when they went yeah. to harvard for undergrad uh usually they'll just start off by saying oh i went to college you know on the east coast somewhere in boston and then we get increasingly <laughs> stressed out when people go oh where and then you're like oh i just you know cambridge and then like, oh it's a harvard they call it the h-bomb <laughs> well, I got a little nervous during our pre-interview. I'm like, well, you don't know Raj? I'm like, no what? I went to yeah. Harvard. I'm like, oh, maybe I should have been nice to you during the rest of the day. <laughs> No, but, I was oh, okay. I thought you knew. <laughs> but yeah. uh, can you talk about, you know, what was your thought process? I know that you're a California girl like I am, California boy over here, and going all the way to the East Coast, and why Harvard? And what was your major going there? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area. I lived in the same house for 32 years now, but my parents just never moved. Um, and pretty sheltered, I would say, went to school in Cupertino. And so going away to Harvard was this um, really amazing experience because uh, the culture was so different. And it was also just so inspiring to see all of these bright, talented people doing things, amazing things I never even heard of. You know, some people had already taken gap years, people, um, some of them had a five-year life plan. I remember one of these girls I met, the first thing she said to me was, hi, my name's so-and-so, I'm a nationally ranked pianist. And <laughs> I was like, hi, I'm Helen, I'm from the Bay Area, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think really it came down to um, just so humble to be around amazing people. No, and you know, was it was it going to be Harvard or 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 bust? Was that the thought process behind it? It was kind of like, Absolutely did you put anywhere not. else on the undergrad list, or this is where you're yeah. going? Well, yeah. actually, honestly, I was um, really gung ho about going to UC Berkeley. You know, I grew up seeing, you know, uh, the protests. Seeing, I had this idea of Berkeley being this place of um, immense, like. So interest in social justice and so forth. But um, I remember getting a call from Harvard. I don't know why, like a recruitment saying you should apply. And then I applied and then my parents were like, well, you got to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I thought at that point, I just realized, you know, I should just challenge myself to um, go far away, be in a completely different um cultural academic setting and just see what it's like and yeah so that's that's why i went you just could be a nice daughter and give him a break on the tuition with the uc right, you right. know what i mean <laughs> and, and, and this is what scares me i gotta tell you helen you know i have, I have a, a beautiful beautiful daughter and she's very young and you know being here at usd we do get a break on tuition you know but i don't tell her that because i know she's gonna pull a fast one on me you know what I mean? And she's going to pull what you pull. Work hard, right. <laughs> yeah. But um, let me ask you this. I mean, um, what was your major there, you know? You know, um, so I actually always loved English literature and the art. So I ended up studying anthropology. Uh, uh, what, what is anthropology? I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not educated enough yet. I mean, what is, what is anthropology? It's a study of just human societies and cultures. Um, there's a social cultural part uh, where you're basically studying, usually from small to big, you might take a uh, small group or tribe in a certain area. And then um, by studying their behavior, their systems, their culture, you can make some more uh, general generalizations about you know how they live and their um ways of life and culture so uh it's it's a really fascinating field of study um, yeah where i'm going with this is number one you know what i mean i think that's amazing that you had that maturity level back in undergrad to realize that's what you wanted to do and let me play around the stereotype card i know if anyone wants to know, Dr. Raj is Indian and Filipino, so I'm kind of Asian. And uh, <laughs> Helen Yang, by her last name, she's pretty Asian, too. Um, yeah. Why didn't you go in biology like I did, man? Isn't that what Asians <laughs> do? Don't we go to be, be bio majors? Isn't that the rule? You know, <laughs> you know what's funny? My parents were amazing people. You've met my mom and dad. Love um, them. Love yeah. them. Super, super sweet. They yeah. actually were like, you do whatever you want. We want to have no um, say in what you decide to do. Just in case you decide you don't like it. So, you know, we don't want you to blame us. So do whatever you want. Just make sure you're able to get a job. And you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that's good. I mean, it comes down to brass tacks. I love you, honey, yeah. but you need to bring home some money. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they're like, just be able to provide for yourself. And uh, yeah, good luck. It was very much like, good luck, you got this. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So how does your road go from humanities, which right. I, I didn't do that good in humanities, uh, <laughs> to getting into, I mean, let me promote our, our USC med school. I think a really nice, great med school. I'm proud to be part of it. So how did you go from humanities to med school? Well, honestly, you know, through my coursework in anthropology, I um, met a lot of former refugees. Um, and that's sort of my coursework as well as volunteer work and research. And that got me so interested in doing more direct relief, direct hands-on service um, as a career. And so that's what kind of prompted me to go into medicine, but it was very theoretical because yeah. I had no family members or real mentors in the field of medicine. So when I, um, you know, what attracted me to USC is uh, most of the training um, is at the LAC, USC County Hospital. It's the yes, largest, it is. Yep. yeah, it's the largest uh, county hospital, meaning safety net hospital in the city of Los Angeles. So I was like, this is fantastic. It's working with the homeless, with undocumented um, patients, with incarcerated, um, just uh, amazing uh, to serve this vibrant community in Los Angeles. And then, um, so I, that's why I chose USC, uh, Los Angeles, amazing city. And then I went there in the first two years of medicine, um, a medical school were super challenging to me because my expectations were so different from reality. Like the first two years of medical school when I was a medical student were completely like in the classroom. Uh, we had um, every week we would do these like um, intro to clinical medicine, <laughs> um, professionalism medicine to get you just, you know, keep going. Um, so you get a little bit of patient interaction. But honestly, it was a lot of basic science again. And so the first two years, I always felt like, you know, half of me was out the door wondering, like, is medicine the right career for me? Right. Will I even like it? Will I like be a good doctor? And half the time I kept thinking maybe I should go get a PhD in, you know, English literature or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very confusing time, but then, you know, third year happened and that's when you do your clinical rotations. And I completely fell in love with medicine. Well, let, let me take a couple steps back. You know, I think number one, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like, you know, when we think about the, the path, the road that many people who want to be doctors, you know, feel yeah. like when I go to undergrad, I do need to be that, that biology major. And I really feel that being on the other side of things now, what makes you or me or other people good doctors is communicating, is your writing skill. There are things that are not emphasized. You know, I think that most doctors, I'm sure, are very smart and they know their biochemical pathways and their physiology. But I think that this is very important to realize that there are many ways, even at the undergrad level, to lead to the road to being a doctor. I don't want to downplay. I think it was a indirectly a great move and it really maybe that's why I think you're such a good person I always say you're a great person <laughs> you do. more than anything you in the whole world you know and, and I think that don't downplay that and I hope people get that message that there's more than just being biology in undergrad yes you know? I think just to kind of jump on that I think the humanities really makes you think about so much more of the human condition and suffering and uh you know I learned to write poetry I wrote a lot of sad poetry you know oh. during medical school <laughs> you know It is, like you said, so much of doctoring is not just understanding the science and putting together the mechanisms, but but being able to convey those, you know, diagnostics and results to a patient and their family, to be able to explain it in a way that's understandable, to be able to 
to comfort people, to be able to yes. give them options in a clear um, way, you know, and during the COVID right now, to how do you be a compassionate doctor who can help people navigate things in, in, in a completely uncertain time, you know? So yeah. those, I think this is why humanities, I hope more and more people do explore medicine, even if they feel like, oh, I'm more of a humanities person because it's so rich in like human relationships and connections. So. And, and let me be kind of like the, the, uh, the mean person saying beyond that, yeah. I mean, to, to be successful in medicine and you're in the trenches with this, you know, you have to write articles, you have to do research, you have to do a lot of writing. And I feel like, you know, being a, to get to do research and abstracts, sure, there's the idea component, but there is who's going to write it. And I think okay. that people underplay the importance of, you know, being grounded in good writing and reading and language skill. and right. just tag on to that of what you're saying. Yeah, those skills really do need to be, you know, honed. And um, I think that so many times in um, medicine and, and um, the basic sciences, you get focused on a certain technical kind of language and not everyone. Yes. There's so many people with other interests or mm -hmm. so many other skills, but being able to communicate clearly, construct sentences well, you know, all these things can only help serve you in, you know, doing research, writing papers, grant proposals and so forth. Exactly. And I like what you said, going for the med school, I think that it is night and day your first two years in your third and fourth year, you know, right. and, and, and definitely, I, I really want to make sure that the students who listen to this podcast too, don't be disheartened after the first two years. I'm sure, Helen, you weren't alone in your thinking, which is that I even made the right decision, you know what I mean? Because tell everyone, if you want, the first two years is not exactly what you're going to turn out to be and what you're doing afterwards, you know? Absolutely not. And I think that's um, my hope that um, I think there's a lot of kind of whittling away in the process, application process, even to med school and then from med school to residency. But I hope people um, really just learn important coping skills and resilience to hang on because if what you love to do is to work with patients and to, um, you know, help uh, improve um, illness, to promote healing, et cetera, then this is the right career for you. But, you know, maybe some learning point for me is uh, I don't think you'll get a lot of that experience just by volunteering, you know, at the hospital. A lot of times you'll end up, you know, um, sitting there and maybe you'll help out some of the staff and that's wonderful. You get a sense of how a hospital runs, but the actual work, you know, that a physician does um, it's something that you have to experience and you know talking with mentors shadowing them as much as possible I wish I had done that oh wow I mean you kind of set me up for my next questions because you know when when do I jump in your life is during your residency exactly. you know and you know I did get the opportunity to meet you as a first-year intern going forward to you graduate you know um, what was, here's a generic question, but I want people to you to answer. Uh, what was your favorite memory in residency or your favorite rotation or favorite part of residency? Anything you want to just jumps to mind? Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, starting as a third year med student up until all throughout residency, I just love um, internal medicine. I love rounding. I love thinking about, you know, the diagnoses, um, really struggling, you know, to write this differential and think why or why not. And I remember when we were on um, both uh, ICU together as well as yes, yes. <laughs> we had some amazing you know reviews of chest x-rays and CTs mm -hmm. and you know um, it, it really um, 
really kind of uh, zebra's uh, diagnoses as well. And that was so fun to me. I find that kind of, I think medicine and the subspecialties of medicine, including like endocrinology, card, you know, cardiology. I actually, that was why I decided I, you know, I didn't specialize because I loved everything and I oh, wanted, <laughs> I really did. I like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I love being able to explore all of the different, you know, subspecialties. I, I think what I realized was I loved everything and I didn't feel like I had to be a subspecialist in that field, but I wanted to know a little enough of everything to start the work up and the conversation. So well, let me, let me just be, um, put you on the spot. You know, yeah. you were great in the ICU. I mean, oh, I, remember, I don't know about that, but thank you. Sure I was that. scared all the time. But. <laughs> One thing I love about you, and I think this could apply to anyone who's, who is a resident or intern right now, is that, I mean, I know you guys are smart, but Helena was always, when you tell her to do something, it is done immediately. <laughs> and I love it. And, you know, and it's so funny because I, I put a smile on my face because if you ever get a chance to see what, you know, what Helen looks like, she is such a nice person. But one time I heard you talking <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> I think we're, we're doing pulmonary consults. Okay. And I remember like someone gave you a consult and the way it is, is like the, your, your interns call you up because you're on the pulmonary service and they tell you about the case. Like here's the person, this is what's going on, blah, 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 blah. And I remember they called you up and said, Hey, we have a consult and pretty much hang up. And you're like, Wait a minute here. Yes. This is not how we and I saw the, the you know the stern side of you. And yes. I'm like, you're awesome, man. Oh, thank so you. I think that um I'm a little sad you didn't go into palm critical care. I think that, you know, it was it was it a little thought? Did you want to go in a little bit maybe? You know, I think that I do love the, I love intensivist because it's truly internal medicine hyped up, you know, so much, you have to act quickly and swiftly, make decisions, people are critically ill, you know, you have to have these difficult goals of care discussions, you have, but you know, you have to love the procedures, you have to intubate, you have to make lines, and I think that was a barrier for me, I love okay. the other, you know, aspects of critical care, that was so fascinating, it's great sure. medicine, um, and it's evolving all the time but i am i am not that interested in procedures so I was no like, i love your honesty on that and i love the little tinging in the background what is that i'm tinging? so sorry about that i don't know how to turn it off oh my no, that, don't even worry about it that's why it's like i love these podcasting with people that you know and like because it's so nice and informal so but uh okay let me ask you this so you know you did your three years you did your time you could go on and make some money afterwards and then you chose to do a chief resident year so you know for people listening what does it mean what is a chief resident and why did you decide to do uh, another year of this glorified residency instead of just turning over and taking the next step and becoming an attending you know i think chief residency the reason most people decide to take that pathway is to explore academic medicine and um you know half of it is administrative work which is a big part of academic medicine but the other half is being an attending who, you know, is responsible for teaching residents and medical students. And it's challenging, especially coming right out of residency to think, oh, you know, do I know enough? Am I going to be a good enough attending to help really teach? But I think that you realize, yes, you know, you... Um, it helps push you to be better. It helps push you to read more, to be able to teach more. And then along the way, you realize, oh, I, I guess I do know, you know a lot, <laughs> or at least more than you. <laughs> no, you're so um, and you know, I want to... Then the students, the residents. Let me say this, is that, uh, you know, my wife was a chief resident uh, after she graduated. And one thing she did make a note of was 
something you briefly touched upon was the administrative part of things. And I think many people think when you go into academics, it's always like an episode on the house TV show. And it's not like that all the time. You know, when you do academics, you know, I mean, there is uh, some some paperwork, lack of a better term, that needs to be done. There are some ops responsibilities. So it's it's not all fun and games. It's not all just teaching, teaching, teaching. So it's good that you mentioned maybe the chief year was as a window to what the real life of academics is. And right. anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, and seeing um, uh, the attending physicians, you know, um, who are uh, part of the um, internal medicine um, administrative, you know, uh, group and um, in um, academic medicine, you see that they really have so many responsibilities outside um, clinical responsibilities. So how do you construct, you know, the curriculum? Um, How do we set up these um, important uh, discussions to address, you know, resident concerns? How do you um, get, you know, uh, survey residents to figure out, you know, the next steps for what they want to do with their career, things like that. So many things that you do not see as a resident because it's just emailed to you or, you know, <laughs> handed to you and you just fill out a paperwork and you're done. Exactly. <laughs> but it's um, doing all that background prep. And um, for us, our roles, you know, there was um, the education chief, the scheduling chief, recruitment chief, that was me. And so a lot of it was really um, trying to think about how do we talk to residents about what's important to them, um, what they like about the program, what they don't like, and being innovative in ways, you know, to make adjustments. And you know what, this is going to lead me into two questions I've been waiting to ask you because, you know, when we talk about you being a chief resident, I really thought, I mean, uh, 2019, definitely 2020 has been a a tough patch for everyone, especially 2020, you know, Um, you were chief resident when we had the pandemic, you know, so a couple things, I mean, being in the trenches, you know, USC is Keck and County and you were in County you know, and you were in the trenches. Uh, What was, you know, your experience? What was the morale of the residency program? And what, as a chief resident, what did you feel you had to do to be a leader at that time during the pandemic? Right. So I, I think one, I will say LAC, USC um, and CAC did a great job being very open um, and trying to, um, be transparent, you know, with the number of um, patients with COVID in the hospital, the supply numbers of PPE and stuff. And that was great because I think those, that kind of information does need to be put out there and available, accessible to residents and all, you know, healthcare workers. But it was, and it still is a very confusing and scary time. So I was on service um, right, you know, in uh, March uh, and throughout until June, I, um, you know, sporadically, but everyday policies were changing. It was hard for, you know, residents um, because they're like, well, yesterday this was the policy and today it seems now we have to do this. And so it it was just um, a mind boggling time to be in the hospital. So what I what I did um, and what I really tried to focus on was how do we help the residents navigate um, this confusing time? And so um, I would take all of the information sent to us from uh, the hospital and I made a little, you know, part of our website just devoted to COVID-19. Okay. I updated it all the time so that they would know, okay, 
on, you know, July 17, these are the policies compared to July 15 and um, try to open up those doors of communication. Another thing we did was uh, we set up all of these uh, different ICU trainings um, course modules. Um, we had a few courses okay. putting um, uh, lines in as well, just because we didn't know at the time, would our residents all be deployed, you know, to the ICU? Um, would our roles all change? Would we have to go on service for two weeks and then get off service? Right. There were so many variables. So we were just trying to, as much as possible, and I think that is the role of the chief resident, to um, communicate with residents, to be able to allay, you know, any fears and then take back feedback to, um, you know, uh, the administration and be able to say this is what's working, this is not working and so forth. I mean, I got to say, I love your answers. I don't know if you practiced before here or not. You're going to, you're great. I I take little notes on this side, like, okay, this is good. Um, No, and, you know, and also it's, it's being positive, you know, beyond the things you just mentioned, because I do agree. It's like anytime you give advice or you talk about a policy or a suggestion, I mean, two seconds later, you open your mouth again, and it's wrong. These things have changed so much, both epidemiology, the, the, the science behind things, or even just, I know what you mean. I'm like, oh, I thought this is what we're testing. Oh, we're not doing that. So yeah. I think you did a very practical thing, which is being that conduit of how to update people with so much information coming. Right. And it was so much. We were being buried in, you know, um, information. And, you know, as a young attending, too, um, because we made it our, um, you know, uh, policy that if you any trainees felt uncomfortable seeing a patient with COVID, they did not have to go inside and that the most senior member uh go see the patient, which was me. So at one point, I, <laughs> so at one point I remember having six patients with COVID oh, on no. my team. So I would go see every, you know, all of them and write notes. And then I would just be so exhausted at the end of the day. And I would think about why. I was like, were rounds really long? I don't think so. I don't know. And I'm like, oh, it's because <laughs> I was just kicking, donning and doffing all day, you know. <laughs> and, hey, is this why, you know, why I got to tell everyone this, that when I call you in the morning, I mean, I'm like, I'm like are, are you in the, are you sick? Or did you just finish like <laughs> vomiting or something? Just N95 like, all day, you know? <laughs> no, no I just do sound terrible in mornings, yeah. <laughs> um, I, know, I think uh, multiple times you're like, are you okay? I, I, you got me worried. <laughs> Oh my God, my non-contrast CT of the head, please, you know? <laughs> so uh, I, I just feel, you know, terrible all the time in the mornings, but it, you know, after a few, 10 minutes or so, wears off, yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, now you're great. I mean, I, don't, I, mean, okay. I love it. I love it now. Um, so It's 1130. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well said. And one more thing I want to bring up, and, you know, we don't have to elaborate too much on this, is that, you know, you had the pandemic happening, and at the same time, another, you know, big, I think, important moment in history occurs at the same time, which was going to be the protests, you know, and I, I really like everyone to know one reason why I love USC so much is that it is a big melting pot. I don't want to sound cliche or whatever it is, but we have so many different cultures and races in our program. I'm so proud of who I hang out with and talk to and train. And it really hurt, you know what I mean? Because I felt we were all hurt when this you know, when the protests took place and everyone's trying so hard to, you know, put out the first fire, which is the pandemic, and then something just as important is out there. Um, how was the, the morale of the residents and anything that you could do to make them feel better or to let them know that we, you, USC is supporting them? 
And so I think this is just a testament to how amazing our residents are, how mature, how thoughtful. Um, even during the pandemic, at one point, we sent out a survey asking them, uh, would you be willing to be deployed to the ICU and or to a COVID-only unit? And the vast majority of residents said yes. And wow. And, and same wow. thing when, you know, uh, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and all of, um, you know, the mounting um, number of people who've been uh, just impacted by systemic racism, police brutality, and so forth, um, you know, emerged, our residents really mobilized and um, decided to say, hey, we do cannot stand for this. And um, so many of them uh, were arranging um, their own, you know, sort of uh, white coats for black lives, um, speaking out on social media. And I remember one day I had sent out, um, you know, um, like an email saying, hey, you know, we'd like to to show our support um, for Black Lives Matter, and um, we're going to just meet at the steps in front of uh, the hospital. And it was 7 a.m. Um, before, and that's kind of a really busy time in the hospital. Um, of course, before like, rounds and preparing um, everything, yeah. To see your patients, everything. And I was expecting maybe a handful, like, you know, five, ten people. There were definitely over 20 people. People had made signs. Um, wow, and I saw the pictures. I saw the pictures. Yes. That maybe you know what we'll do is I'll put this on the uh, the webcast site or the you know so people the podcast site so they can see these pictures. No, that was amazing. Yeah, and and you know I think that's just again our residents, our residency program, um, our hospital administration here. I think we're all on the same page of. Um, you know, as physicians, our roles, our responsibilities are ever evolving, but we do have this important voice. Um, and we have this responsibility to speak out against, you know, systemic racism, structural inequalities. Um, and in that sense, by doing so, really um, protect our patients and our community and our colleagues. And yeah. so, I think we're really united in that front. USC Medicine, if you follow the Instagram, is very active in um, social media here. Uh, we had um, our hospital actually had this huge um, uh, gathering, you know, and a uh, vigil um, for George Floyd. And it was incredible. There were so many people, obviously in mass, trying to social distance. You know, I know, um, I know. Uh -huh. And um, it was, you know, when we were there eight minutes doing the vigil, People were crying. People, you know, were just, we were there in solidarity. So I think that, um, you know, uh, USC, um, CAC, uh, everyone here that I've encountered is passionate about, you know, um, trying to target these issues. No, and, and you know, and I could vouch for everything Helen just says, because, you know, obviously I'm asking her these questions, but I'm in the trenches with her and I see all the things she has done, USC has done, and I couldn't say how proud I am to be a Trojan during those pandemics and protests and everything. So finally, it, it takes a while for me to get to the question I wanted to ask you at the oh, okay. <laughs> end, which was going to be, you know, I wanted people to know that, you know, you did, you did three years of a resident, four years of a residency, yeah. four years of med school, you know what I mean? And like, and I'll be the one to first say that you are going to be an amazing clinician and are an amazing clinician. How does one decide to go into public health? You know what I mean? What, what was that? And what advice can you give other people your age or people who are, you know, torn between doing more clinical, how does that decision process go? 
You know, it is um, not traditional. I'll say that because a lot of people who do have an interest in public health um, get a degree during medical school. For me, I knew I was interested in public health issues for a long time, but it was only um, going through residency, seeing the importance of social determinants of health, including, you know, job security, housing, uh, legal status, you know, et cetera. all come into play, it made me really rethink, you know, as a physician, if I am trying to improve health and promote healing, I can't see a patient uh, just isolated as a patient with, you know, uncontrolled diabetes. I have to think about the fact that this patient took three, four buses um, to get to the hospital that maybe they um, have difficulty accessing um, um, their medication, you know, maybe it's hard for them to inject insulin, maybe they can't read the bottle. Uh, Maybe it's also that um, they lost their job two months ago and or that they cannot afford to miss a single day of work. And that's why they're missing their clinic visits. All of those things. You know, as I went through residency, I realized um, these are my interests and my passions. And so I just said, you know what, there's never a good time to get another degree. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I figured (laughs) now is the time. You know, it's so funny. Before the pandemic, so many people were like, why are you going to go to uh, go? you know, why are you getting an MPH now? And, yeah. you know, explain everything I just said now, but then after <laughs> the pandemic, they're like, that is a fantastic idea. <laughs> and I think people now yeah, do see the value of public health. Um, uh, but really, because these are, um, it's such a fascinating field to be able to learn about epidemiology, you know, uh, disease outbreaks, tracking, but also the other aspects of um, health and medicine that are interesting to me. Um, this was a great opportunity. So I'm, I'm just doing it. I don't know. We'll see how and it you, goes. <laughs> and well, you know, hearing your story now, like during this podcast, you know, it starts off on one side with humanities, you know, and you didn't really know exactly where that was going to take you. But I think it's a perfect bookshelf because you told me during this interview that with the humanities, it's about, you know, it's about anthropology and it's about mm-hmm. cultures and understanding. And all of a sudden you do public health. So I don't know if that was part of your master plan, but it makes sense to me now that yeah, what you're bookshelving, you know? I had this master plan in, you know, in place, the wheels moving 10 years ago, but I did not. <laughs> However, you know, one thing I will say is I always just, you know, it's as cheesy as it sounds, I do just follow my heart. I follow what's interesting to me. And, um, and that's why I think I've been so happy. I've been, I still love medicine. I don't feel burnt out because um, you do what you're interested and passionate about. You know, and, and, you know, because you ended up talking about the passion of medicine, well, I want to mention one of my favorite projects I'm doing currently with you, which mm-hmm. is you are nice enough to be the one of the section chiefs of my medicine morning report book, of course. And, you know, I really want to bring that up because if you enjoy this podcast and talking to Helen, she is now helping me coordinate many, many of these internal medicine cases from endocrinology to neurology to cardiology and really trying to make sure that it has the feel of our personality, of course, of the book. And 
Helen, I just want to tell you on my podcast, I'm so happy that you're part of it. And are, are you having fun so far? Uh, I am. Yeah, with the book and everything. Yeah, I mean, I will say, you know, even um, from the beginning, you're beyond the Pearl series. It's so helpful. I mean, I, Dr. Raj, you guys <laughs> remember when I was a med student, we met him, you know, in lecture class. There were so many of us, so he couldn't even really see who we were. But uh, there was always, you know, thousand point you know, high yield points. He was teaching <laughs> a fantastic teacher, a wonderful clinician. Uh, that's why I asked him to be my dad's pulmonologist. <laughs> but, uh, but really, all of those um, things he's bringing those points to a book to be so interesting. Um, and now this is a subspecialties version, so you yes, get it is. pearls and interesting, you know, clinical learning points all throughout all the different specialties. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm having fun. <laughs> Ah, I love it. I love it. You know, I got to tell you, Helen, you know, for the, our first podcast together, time just flew by. You know, it's supposed to be a 30-minute podcast. It's like it's almost five minutes already. <laughs> <laughs> now, you got to promise me something. Now, you know what? I know so many other things I wanted to touch base upon. You know, I wanted to touch base about your family and all everything back there. But are you going to be nice enough to come do another podcast with me? Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> All right. So anyways, hey, I want to say this is that I'm going to definitely, as we're going through these cases together, as we're reviewing our bookcases together, we're going to pick one. We're going to break it down. We're going to have oh, our both opinions. How do you think about that for our next old theme? Yeah, yeah. Okay? That would be really cool. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, thank you everyone for joining me. I hope you enjoyed meeting Dr. Helen Yang today and she'll be back again. And thanks again, Helen. And I'll, we, will, we will talk to you soon. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. <laughs>